Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And the Cavaliers made their selection with number 49. Did not trade back into the first round, but Cleveland did select Imani Bates out of Eastern Michigan with the number 49 overall pick. He is a six foot nine, 19-year-old, once touted as one of the best prospects, as the number one prospect in America when he was in high school, has since had some off-the-field, off-the-court issues and transferred from Memphis and has kind of been all over the place. But, Chris, to me, this seems like I, – I, I personally think it's a great pick in that you have the upside, right? The talent is there. There is um, a great locker room that he can be surrounded by, a lot of good role models in Cleveland. And, you know, and if it doesn't work out, then there's not a lot of risk. So is that kind of what the Cavaliers were thinking going into that number 49 pick when he was on the board? Yeah, I think so. I think they were looking at it very similar to the way that you were looking at it. Um, It is a low risk move. And if you're drafting at 49, odds tell you that the guy that is drafted there at 49 is not going to make it in the NBA. Um, I did the research on the last 10 guys that were drafted number 49 overall in the NBA draft. And um, of those 10, two never saw an NBA court. And the other eight combined for 660-something total games. It's not a lot, right? So if you get something out of this kid eventually, then you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself. But you know, guys like him with his pedigree – with his theoretical skill set, um, they aren't usually available at number 49. And the Cavs don't need him to be the starting small forward. The Cavs don't need him to be a star. The Cavs don't need him to be a core piece moving forward. They just need him to be another guy. Like He's going to round out the roster. He's an end-of-the-rotation type guy, maybe, in the future. Um, but for now, in the short term, he's like one of the last guys on the roster and he's probably going to spend a majority of the season in the G League uh, where he can grow, he can develop, he can continue to evolve and maybe possibly become the player who understands um, how to impact winning in a positive way. Because right now he has no clue how to get his game and his skills to impact winning in a positive way. Yeah, what what um what are you hearing from you know the Cavaliers in terms of what they've what they see from him, what they like about him, what they are willing to kind of um for lack of a better word, put up with in his in regards to him being in Cleveland? I just think it's a natural talent thing. He's yeah. got scoring gifts, obviously. He's a tough shot maker, he's a tough shot taker. Um, and he's six foot nine with length, a little bit of bounce. And he plays the the wing spot. So the idea of a lengthy, athletic, shoot-first wing um, is appealing. Um, it's appealing to any team in the NBA. And I just think the Cavs were looking at the situation that they were in, and they tried to move into the first round. They called basically every single team that was drafting between 20 and 30, had conversations with them about what it was going to cost. And to them... The value of what they would have had to give up never aligned with the player that was still available on the board. And I just don't think they saw a huge gap in talent between Imani at 49 and the player that they could have gotten between 20 and 30. There's probably a huge gap in readiness. There's probably a huge gap in maturity. There's probably a huge gap in 
quote unquote certainty. Like there are less things that you worry about with some of those players between 20 and 30 than you do with Amani. But I just don't think the Cavs saw a significant talent gap because he has natural gifts that when it all comes together, if it all does come together, you've got a long athletic six foot nine wing, and that's appealing. Last but he season, can shoot, he can oh, score. Like look look at the game that he played, and I know. It's college. He was at Eastern Michigan, and his team went 8-23. and But look at the game against Toledo. He scored 43 points, and he ripped off 29 in a row. Like, he's capable of those kinds of scoring binges. He's capable of going out and getting buckets and creating for himself. Um, He doesn't really do a good enough job of creating for his teammates. He doesn't really do a good enough job of decision-making. But he is a bucket. You put him out there on the court. and you just kind of take the reins off of him, and he's going to be able to score the ball. Last season from uh, Eastern Michigan uh, averaged 19 points a game, but only shot 40% from the field, 6 of 15 average, uh, only only average an assist a game. Uh, I mean, you're right in that, you know, the numbers don't point to him being a guy that um, necessarily is a great um, assist or a great passer, a great guy to to play with in that regard. Um, also, the three-point number is not great, 33%. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there are obvious holes here. Uh, shot 47% from two-point range, show, though. Uh, but I think the biggest hole or the biggest kind of thing is the reason he dropped the 49 was the off-the-court. You, you mentioned it, the maturity, the off-the-court yeah. issues. Um, you know, the Cavaliers have dealt with that in the past with Kevin Porter Jr. Didn't really end up well. What makes them confident that this can be different? In regards, did they learn from Kevin Porter Jr.? Did they think that, you know, now they have a better understanding of how they kind of need to operate with somebody who might have some off-the-court, you know, issues? I just think, Hayden, the situation's completely different, right? I mean, at the time that they drafted, look at when they drafted Kevin Porter Jr. That was 2019. That was a year after LeBron James left. They were still figuring things out, which direction they were going to go in this rebuild. They were still trying to identify franchise pillars and young cornerstones that they could try and build around. Um, This is a team that is coming off a 51-win season. This is a team that is coming off a playoff appearance. This is a team that has a leader like Donovan Mitchell, right? They have veterans like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and other guys up and down this roster. Like, the situation that the Cavs were in when they brought Kevin Porter Jr., they didn't know who their head coach was going to be. Right. They were still transitioning from that. Uh, They didn't know who they were going to build this organization around. They didn't even know if they were ever going to emerge from the darkness of the rebuild. So the situation's completely different, first and foremost. And I think the expectations are completely different. This isn't a first round pick. This isn't a guy that the Cavs gave up four second round picks to get back into the first round and make part of a three player first round draft class like Kevin Porter Jr. You know what I mean? Yep. This was a guy who's picked 49, and he just has to be the 49th pick. Like, he doesn't have to be Kevin Durant Jr. He doesn't have to be the guy who was plastered on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 15 years old. But he doesn't have to live up to that. He's probably going to develop and evolve away from the spotlight, away from the cameras, away from the hoopla of the NBA, in the G League with the Cleveland Charge. So what they need from... Amani Bates and what they expect of Amani Bates and the situation that he's coming into 
all of that is very, very different than where this organization was about four years ago. Um, in saying all of that, like it's up to Amani to figure it out. Um, he's got to mature. He's got to grow up. Uh, people questioned his body language when he was at Memphis. People questioned if he was even dealing with a back injury when he was sat out in those games down the stretch for Memphis. Um, and and he has a lot of growing up to do. That That's part of when you draft a 19-year-old kid um, that bounces between a couple of colleges in his two years in college um, and has some missteps already on his resume, including a misdemeanor gun charge. Those are things that you're taking on as an organization, right? Um, and that's the reality of what the Cavs are taking on when it comes to Amani Bates. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, Amani also has to grow physically. He's 6'9", but he's only 190 pounds. Yeah, he's that wiry some- dude. Yeah, that is something that, you know, we're looking at with Evan Mobley, um, but six nine one ninety is that is that is lanky to say the least. So there's not only physical, there's off the off the court, there's on the court, there's a lot of growth here. But I but I love it because as you mentioned, there's no pressure. There's no pressure on the Cavaliers to get him in the lineup. There's no pressure on you know him to develop right away. They're not counting on him to be a rotational piece, as you said. He'll probably be be with the Cleveland Charge. So I think you know where they were in the draft. The fact that they weren't able to get up in the first round to take a guy with a massive potential, I think, was a great move for where this team is at. Yeah, and again, if it hits, it hits. And if it right. doesn't, it doesn't. Right. Um, and history would tell you that it's not going to, right? I mean, history yeah. tells you that if you're drafted between 49 and 60, or in this case this year, 49 and 58, the odds of you becoming an impact player in the NBA are very, very low. There are examples of it. Sure. Yeah. They're scattered throughout NBA history. He could be Manu Ginobili. He could be Kyle Korver, like that guy who goes on to a long storied career. Um, or he could be um, Marcus Zagorowski, you know, who was drafted 49th overall a couple of years ago and he never saw an NBA court. You just don't know. And yeah. I just think given the fact that the Cavs already have a core in place, given the fact that the Cavs already have like a top five and a half, six in their rotation, like they could try to swing for the fences. And if they strike out, they strike out. If they hit a single, great. If they hit a double, even better. If they hit a home run, way better from their standpoint. Um, But I think it's going to help Imani to some degree, Hayden, that for the first time in his career, Like, he's stepping into a situation where there aren't any expectations. Like, even when he was at Eastern Michigan, and that was, like, kind of further off the radar, right? Like, he was still the ballyhooed recruit from Memphis that didn't make it at Memphis. You know what I mean? This is a guy who now is coming to a situation in the NBA, and the NBA has told him, point blank, like, we don't think you are worthy of a first-round pick, right? We don't think you're worthy of a top 40 pick. The NBA is telling him these flaws. The NBA is telling him what his future possibly could be. And now he's coming into a situation with the Cavs where he's fighting for his NBA future. And I think that's a different kind of um, situation than what he was in, obviously, in high school, but certainly in college, too, at both stops. 
Yeah, it, it, it does make sense. And again, it, it's going to be on Imani. I mean, the Cavaliers are going to, you know, do everything they can to get the best out of him. Obviously, they do that with the, all their players. And it's just about a matter of, um, of putting it together. I mean, you know, again, it's up to him to mature. It's up to him to put it all together, which uh, we'll, we will see. And there's, yep. like we said, there's a lot of risk or there's no, there's not much risk. There's a lot of reward potentially. Um, so I, again, I, I can't say enough how much I really thought the Cavaliers did a nice job in drafting Imani Bates. Um, at that point, you know, if they couldn't get it back up in the first round, get a rotational guy, that was uh, probably their, the move to make just a high upside, low risk um, draft pick there. All right, so we talked about Imani Bates, um, and again, his future is very much on himself and on how the Cavaliers develop him. But in a couple of days, free agency will be upon the Cavaliers. And I wanted to start this way, Chris. Um, our friend Brian Windhorst at ESPN Cleveland, or no, not uh, not at ESPN Cleveland. He, he was on ESPN Cleveland today. He is with ESPN, hence why he was on ESPN Cleveland. And he had this to say, which I thought was pretty interesting um, given that he's not a guy to just stir up stuff to stir up stuff. He's, you know, he made himself a, well, he was well known before, but the meme, the, uh, the Utah meme is now very, very, very well known. That's kind yeah. of his, uh, his signature at this point. Um, what's going on in Utah. And he was exactly right about Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and everything. So he said this today on the airwaves of ESPN Cleveland quote, I have some speculation. There's a couple of outlandish stuff that I'm going to say right now that I'm not going to say right now because I'd get in trouble. I wish I could tell you more and I know I shouldn't tease you. And he was <laughs> referring to the Cavaliers free agency rumors. So, Chris, we talked a lot about the um, the Cavaliers and, and potentially trading Jared Allen and stuff like that. Is there anything bigger that we're maybe we're not even looking at? I mean, I've said in the past that Kobe Altman has been a guy that has taken big swings and has kind of made big moves that nobody necessarily expected. So could that be the case again this offseason that Kobe Altman, you know, surprises everybody with a big move to bring in maybe a, a bigger player than we even imagined? Well, sure, Hayden, because this is an opportunistic and aggressive front office and if the right opportunity comes, the Cavs are going to explore it and they're going to listen. It's just hard to see what path they could go down that Brian would even be discussing. Um, look, they could trade Jared Allen and that could get them a haul. Um, I guess that would qualify under what Brian was talking about. They've taken calls on Jared. They've gotten offers on Jared. I reported last week leading into the draft that they were getting offers for Jared Allen, but just none to the level that were appealing enough for them to actually say yes to those offers. Um, and I think that's always going to be a line of demarcation. Are the Cavs going to improve enough to say yes to a trade for Jared Allen? And is Jared Allen around the NBA valuable enough for a team to give up the kind of uh, landscape shifting player that would allow the Cavs to you know, take the next step as an organization in a different kind of way. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I guess the other opportunity that they have this offseason is a sign and trade. Um, we know that they've got the mid-level exception. It's $12.4 million. Um, that's one way that they can improve. They can make an addition this offseason. But the mid-level market is very, very crowded. It's going to be very competitive. There are about 20 different teams that have the mid-level as well. 
and the Cavs have to sell whatever free agent is on a fit, on a role, um, on a situation, on a location, um, because the money is going to be the same for the majority of these guys in the mid-level. But if the Cavs look around that market and say, well, we want to aim a little bit higher, okay, then they start exploring sign-in trades um, for guys that that are going to cost a little bit more than the $12.4 million that the Cavs can offer. So if the Cavs say to themselves, we really like the fit of Max Struess, he's a three-point shooter, um, he moves well without the ball, he creates some gravity, um, he would be an ideal fit for us. But they know that they can't afford him with the mid-level exception because he's going to make more than that. Okay, then the Cavs explore a sign-in trade. And they package together two team-friendly contracts and Jetty Osman and Dean Wade that have value around the NBA and toss together some future second-round picks and say, is this enough? Or they do the same kind of deal for Grant Williams or Harrison Barnes or any of these guys that you think are going to cost more than the mid-level exception. And... um that is a path that I'm told that the Cavs are willing to explore. Uh, they did that a couple of years ago when they got Lowry Markinen in a sign-and-trade, a three-team sign-and-trade that cost them Larry Nance Jr., right? So the Cavs could certainly go down that road. They could certainly explore their options um, in a sign-and-trade. And I would argue that the players that would fall into that kind of salary are going to be more impactful and probably more appealing to the Cavs than the ones that they would get with the mid-level exception. Like if you ask them right now, would you rather pull off a sign and trade for Max Struess or settle for Kelly Oubre Jr. at the mid-level exception? I think the answer is pretty simple, right? And you could say the same thing about Harrison Barnes, about Miles Bridges of the Charlotte Hornets, about, um, like I said, Grant Williams. Like anybody that you think is going to cost a little bit more than that $12.4 million, um, that would be the Cavs' path to getting that kind of player, a sign-in trade. Before all that, before we get into all that stuff, I mean, Karis LeVert is probably their number one kind of priority um, to kind of see where that ends up before the rest of the stuff, because I think that would kind of be the first domino to fall, whatever whatever direction that may be? Yeah, I don't think there's any specific order um, that the Cavs are going to go in when it comes to this offseason, and they don't have to. Um, but I think if they're mapping out the offseason and they're making a priority list, right, they're saying to themselves, re-sign Karis LeVert, add a two-way wing, get a backup center or a backup power forward. Like they have a list of things that they want to accomplish. And at the top of that list is bringing back Karis LeVert. They traded a first round pick for him. He has already said that he wants to be back. Kobe Altman has talked about how much they would want Karis back. Um, so there's mutual interest. It's just about finding what is the financial compromise between the two sides? Is there a financial compromise between the two sides? But the Cavs know that Karras fits well enough here. Um, is he an ideal fit next to Darius and Donovan to be the starting small forward? No. We've talked about that a few different times. But there's a role here for him. He's a 30-minute-a-night player. 
J.B. Bickerstaff clearly trusts him. He can play, in theory, the one, the two, and the three. So that versatility is going to help him. He's not going to get caught up and complain about his role or his playing time. So that's appealing to him as well. And I think the Cavs would say that if if he were in the mid-level market with some of those other names like Kelly Oubre Jr., like Dante DiVincenzo, like Bruce Brown, or whoever else you want to toss in there, um, I think the Cavs would have a hard time saying that any of those other available options to them are better or a better fit than Karras. So, yeah, I think finding a way to bring him back and then using the mid-level exception on an addition is the way to go. Because if he just walks, then the Cavs are essentially replacing him with the mid-level. And a better path for them this offseason is re-signing Karras and adding to the roster. Yeah, I think just I think just replacing Karras would not would be a net negative. Um unless you replace him with somebody, you know, astronaut like way better, but I just I don't see how that's out there. Right. Um, so I agree that, you know, Karras um and then another player on top of that would be the best option for the Cavaliers. Um I'll, you know, we've talked a lot about these options and a lot about, you know, who they could bring in. I mean, are you are we going to see a situation where we see some of these guys get way bigger deals than we thought, and then the Cavaliers kind of kind of be stuck with maybe even lesser talent than we thought, or is this a situation where you know maybe the market will play itself into Cleveland's favor? Well, that's the thing, Hayden. Even when it comes to Karis Levert, I think the Cavs understand not that there's going to be no market for him. Like this isn't like the same situation as a couple of years ago where the Cavs were looking at it saying, there is nobody that's going to take Colin Sexton from us. Remember that? Um, Yep. And they were planning for that in the free agency when he was reaching free agency. Um, Because you can plan for those things in advance and then you can make counters based on that. But as it sits right now today, there are seven teams with available cap space more than the mid-level exception. Those seven teams, for somebody like Karras, who talks about winning, who talks about going to the playoffs, who is very, very excited to get back into the playoffs after a three- or four-year hiatus, none of the teams that have cap space were playoff teams last year. The closest team to that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we're talking about San Antonio, Houston, Indiana, Oklahoma City, Utah, Orlando, and Houston. Is Karis LeVert really going to take a big payday from any of those teams and say, I'm going to give up a clear role in Cleveland, a clear opportunity to get to the playoffs? Maybe, maybe. But that's not the indication that I've gotten in talking to people around the NBA and people close to Karis. So I think that is benefiting the Cavs, that Detroit's and San Antonio's and Houston's, those are the teams that could woo or pull Karis away. And I just don't know how many of those teams would be appealing to him. And the same goes just in free agency in general, right? Like when you have only seven teams with available cap space, they obviously have to spend it on somebody, but like those spots are going to be taken up relatively quickly. And then those players that thought they were going to get that kind of payday 
are going to have to settle for something closer to the mid-level exception, either in a sign-in trade or they're going to have to settle for the mid-level exception itself in free agency. So that does play into the Cavs' favor, I think. Right. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, again, it's kind of a wait and see thing with Cleveland. Like what? But I still, I mean, the windy thing, it just makes me think because Kobe, you're right. I mean, we've seen it. Kobe has been super opportunistic. He's been super kind of big swingy, if you want to, you know, be real about it. I mean, they brought in um, uh, Larry Markinen on that big deal. You know, obviously they brought in Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I think he kind of believes you're going to have to make these kind of creative slash big splashes to really make the roster better. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm expecting them to do anything major, but I think I, I think really anything's on the table. Well, the other thing is, this is not a strong free agency market. So, well, maybe not so much for where the Cavs are looking, if that makes sense. No, period. Just in general. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Chris Middleton's probably not going anywhere. He's probably going to go back to Milwaukee. Um, then you're talking about Kyrie, James Harden, uh, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Kyle Kuzma. So, like, the only one of those guys that really shifts any kind of landscape, potentially, would be Kyrie, right? Like, even Draymond Green, yeah, he would be a great fit in a certain place maybe like the lakers maybe like the sacramento kings but he's also 33 years old he has his best years already in the rear view you know what i'm saying so yeah it's just hard to see like who's that guy that's out there that's going to change in free agency when we're talking about that market not the trade market but the free agency market who's the guy who could change destinations and all of a sudden, shift some things in the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference. I just don't see that. I just don't think this is this kind of year. I don't think it's this kind of market. Like, Cam Johnson is a restricted free agent. All indications are that Brooklyn is going to match any respectable offer that he gets. And I think he's a great player. I think he'd be a great fit for the Cavs. I think he'd be a great fit for a lot of different teams out there. But, like... How much better would he make a team if he went to Detroit? How much better would he make the team if he went to San Antonio, one of the cap space teams? And you can say the same thing about Kyle Kuzma, or you could say the same thing about Miles Bridges, or um, Kelly Oubre Jr., or Christian Wood. You know what I mean? Like, I think the guys who have the ability to really shake some things up in the NBA are more trade candidates than free agent candidates. That's just the way that I see it, though. Yeah, I think that makes sense, too. You know, and I think sign and trade could temp- could potentially be a big deal for the Cavaliers, and they've done it in the past. Like, the Laurie Markin yeah. one with the sign and trade, I mean, they like I said, they're they have they're no stranger to this um, and to making moves in that regard. Um, and the only guy that I can think of, Hayden, that would, like, fit under the umbrella of what Wendy was even discussing Maybe Miles Bridges, maybe Kyle Kuzma. I, I don't know. I mean, people are speculating. I mean, crazily, obviously. It's obviously, obviously, it's the internet. Um, you know, the Damian Lillard stuff. 
they're they're saying Damian Darius Garland, something like that. I, you know, I, I think I, he did say outlandish. I mean, that that was the word he said. So like, I mean, that to me would be very outlandish. Um, I don't know if Miles Bridges is outland. Like, I don't know if Cal Cal Kuzma is outlandish. I don't know if well, uh, you know, like, is Kyle Kuzma outlandish? Is Miles Bridges outlandish? I mean, Miles Bridges might be outlandish because I mean, you know. It, the situation, but like, I don't think he's like an outlandish player to bring in. Well, I don't think he's an outlandish player to bring in. I think it's outlandish to talk about it in relation to the Cavs. Yeah. Simply because of the price tag of both those guys. Right. Yeah. That like, makes if the Cavs, yeah. like if the Cavs are going to get to a Kyle Kuzma number and he, <laughs> I mean, good on him, but he wants $30 million a year. Yeah. The Cavs have the 12.4 million mid-level exception. We're 18 million away from what Kuzma wants there, okay? Like, he opted out of $13 million, and he didn't opt out of that money to take 12.4 from the Cavs, okay? So I think that maybe would be why it would be outlandish to be talking about, of the unrestricted free agents, Kyle Kuzma is probably going to get one of the highest paydays, you would think. So talking about him in relation to the Cavs, knowing all that they can offer, it becomes a little bit more outlandish because now you start talking about, well, does that mean you have to trade Jared Allen? Well, does that mean you have to trade Isaac Okoro? Well, does that mean that you have to package Jetty Osman and Dean Wade and this and you know what I'm saying? Right. Just to make the salaries come close to matching each other. And then the same kind of thing can be said with Bridges. Now, he shares an agent with Darius Garland. He's represented by Clutch, Rich Paul. Um, but he's a restricted free agent. And in most situations, in most off seasons, somebody with his skill set um, would be getting a contract between 20 and $30 million. Obviously, it's different for Bridges because he was suspended last year, because he's going to miss 10 games coming up this year to play out the remainder of his suspension. There's a lot of intel gathering that a lot of teams would have to do. They would have to feel comfortable with the -the off-the-court stuff. Um, And that, I would think, would require the Cavs with a sign-and-trade as well, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it that the the Miles Bridges thing is something that you know I hadn't really even thought about until today. I mean, just because you know the, the, he is suspended for um, ten games next season and he didn't play last season and um, didn't know exactly where he stood, but it seems like teams are interested in him and teams are going to be interested in him given the position he plays, given what he did in Charlotte before all of the um, domestic violence or situation went down with him. Um, and his age too he's 25 years old guys like him that are 25 years old six foot seven 220 play a premier position in the nba um have the kind of style that all teams are coveting guys like him in most situations they don't reach free agency yeah because guys like him teams either trade away for a huge haul or they just don't let them go in free agency right. because they pay them a premium to keep them. Right. Any other thoughts about free agency before we get started in the next couple of days? I mean, you know, are there any kind of 
overarching themes that you're looking for from Cleveland or anything that like fans should be able to look out for or shooting you're expecting shooting shooting yeah. two-way wings i i think at this point hayden everybody knows the weaknesses they need yeah. a backup big that can play the center spot if if needed or play the power forward spot right i don't think the Cavs are looking at it saying well it needs to be a center or a power forward right i think it could be either one because evan mobley theoretically could be the backup center in certain lineups um so a backup big obviously a two-way wing and just shooting in general um that's where i would expect the Cavs focus their attention so anybody that fits those guidelines um the Cavs are going to be interested yeah um i had something i forgot what i was gonna say um oh no rollo <laughs> no rollo no preferably <laughs> their backup big would be able to actually play at this point of his career. And that's okay. nothing against Rolo. His best okay. his best years are behind him, and that's why the Cavs were able to sign him for the veteran minimum. Yeah. Uh, Andre Drummond out there. Yeah. So the Cavs would need this guy to be able to play. In their, let's, let's say, <laughs> dot, 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 in their system. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you're no fun. No Andre Drummond, no Rolo. Come on. Bismack Biombo. There you go, Bismack Biombo. Got Biombo. interest in Bismack Biombo? There you go. Uh, sure. Why not? I'm t- I'm taking a look at the undrafted free agents, or the, uh, excuse me, unrestricted free agents. Um, some interesting names, I mean, just all over the board, if not, you know, like you said, if not game changers. Um, Russell Westbrook, Chris Middleton, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Chris Dapps. Well, not anymore. Chris Dapps, well, not yet, not anymore. He's with Boston. Um, D'Angelo Russell, Kevin Love. Nikola Vucevic, um, Draymond Green, Fred Van Vliet, Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Grant, Karis LeVert, Malik Beasley. Still not seeing any backup centers to this point. Um, no, I mean, you're looking Dwight at... Powell? Yeah, you're looking at Mason Plumley, maybe Christian ja- Wood. Jakob Pertl? No, way out of their price range. <laughs> He's a starter. Yeah. And and Christian Wood's like borderline because he could start on certain teams, but he can't defend at all. Um, so maybe teams have soured on him a little bit based on what happened this past year in Dallas. Ooh, but, here's one. Here's one. Alex Lynn. What? That's Alex one. Lynn. That's one that appeals to you. Yeah. <laughs> you say here's one. Here's one, and you come up with Alex Lynn. I've always been an I was an Alex Len fan when they drafted Anthony Bennett. He should have left that back in whatever year that was. No, I mean hell. Hey, Alex Len's still in the league. Anthony Bennett's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, think they're on. looking at Mason Plumley, from what I've heard, Dwight Powell, Thomas Bryant, Bismack Biombo. They were interested Ooh, in Thomas Nas Bryant, Reed. Th- Thomas Bryant would also be another one. Um not in seller. DeAndre, oh, Cody Zeller. Hey. I mean, he did play, you know, in the finals, but Thomas Bryant's a lot more appealing to me than than Cody than Cody Zeller. Drew Eubanks, I've heard they have interest in. They were interested in Nas Reed before he went back to Minnesota. Yeah. Um, but but I just can't see them. So they have the $12.4 million mid-level exception, and they can use it on either one player or they can split it up. I just find it hard to believe. This is just me talking. 
I find it hard to believe that they're going to use most of their mid-level on a center. Yeah. Considering they have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley on this roster. There, there, are, there, there are even more interesting names down here. Look at this. Tristan Thompson out there. Oh, my. There we go. Gorgie, Gorgie Jang out there. <laughs> Boban out there. Come on. Boban now, would be so fun. Now it would be more likely, yes, Boban would be a riot. In what way? Like, what? Boban would be so fun. He's the best. Dude's awesome. Got a great personality. Maybe make some commercials. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's all Robin, Robin Lopez did last year. What's the difference? Now, if they do spend on a big, I could see it being a situation where that guy can play the four and the five. Yeah. Gives them a little bit of lineup versatility, some flexibility. That's why Nas Reed was appealing. In some lineups, yeah. he can play four, but in other lineups, he can play the five. Um, so if somebody fits that particular mold, then I could see the Cavs saying, okay, we'll spend a little bit on this guy because he's got that kind of versatility. But I don't even know, like looking at the list of power forwards, guys in that price range, I don't even know who could fit that profile. Georgie Niang, I don't know. Bring back um, Jeff Green for there you go. His, uh, his seventeenth his season, I think it would be N- NBA champion, NBA champion. That's Jeff right. Green. Um, um, Willie, Cull- I'm just looking through even more. Oh, Willie Cauley Stein, Myers, Myers Leonard. Stop. <laughs> the names are bad. Myers Leonard is interesting. No, he's I not. Mean, <laughs> nope. <laughs> the guys not. that I, the guys that I find interesting, you don't find interesting. No, and because because you're, we're talking about we're not talking about a player that's going to come in and like make a giant. Imp- I mean, m- maybe make a big impact, but like you're talking about a player like Robin Lopez who didn't who was there for pretty much just you know yeah to be a body. Yeah, agreed. Um, Ooh, guys what a, okay, another another oh, another name that you're not that you might not like, Montrezl. Montrez Harrell. Yeah. Oh, thanks, dude. Come on, you got to give these guys a chance. No thanks. All right, so you said Miles Plumley, or you said Mason Plumley? Mason Plumley, the good Mason Plumley. Um, I'm trying to see who else. Uh, you said. Bismack Biombo, um, Dwight Powell. Yeah. Okay. Thomas All right. Bryant. Thomas Bryant. Yeah, that that's Drew that's Eubanks. probably that's probably my favorite name, Thomas Bryant. Also an NBA champion. Um, oh yeah, technically he is right. with the Denver Nuggets. So yeah. All right, interesting stuff. And uh, let's again, just shoot. say that the wing market, which is is not rich with talent, the wing market is more appealing even than the big market. Yeah. By the way, I'm on SpotRack right now, which is like the contract website. Yeah. And the trending players, if this is this is hilarious to me. The trending players are number one is Damian Lillard, obviously. Number two uh-huh. is Kyle Lowry. Uh-huh. Number three is Team of A Mozgov. <laughs> what in the world? What? Why? Why? I don't know. It, Team of A Mozgov is the third trending player on SpotRack right now. The fourth trending player is Norman Powell, and the fifth is Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> Why is Donovan trending? Um, maybe just because of the Knicks stuff. I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I mean, Mozgov hasn't been relevant in, in eight years or in seven years. 
I'm Googling Timofey Mozgov. Okay, see what comes up. Nothing comes up in terms of newsworthy. That's so strange. I wonder if he's I'll trending quit. just because of free agency. Because if you remember, like the one year he's where the 36 years old. No, no, no. I'm just wondering if people are talking about him in reference to free agency. Because if you remember oh, the one year. I mean, yeah. Yes. The he cap, get, I mean, cap he exploded. Made... And he was like one of the first signings of the free agency period. So maybe people are wondering, like, who is this year's Timo Moskov? I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, he. It so doesn't make made, a lot of sense, but it's logical somewhat. Yeah, he made ten million with the the Knicks. He made fourteen million with the Nuggets, and he made sixty four million with the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> that has to be yeah. one of the worst signings in Los Angeles Lakers history. <laughs> So I went into Timofey Mozgov in Google and I searched under news and the best results, 17 of them came up from three days ago. The headline, the Lakers five worst free agent signings in franchise history. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. He's got to be at least top four. The third one, NBA free agents who got paid after winning a championship. Thomas Bryant might be that guy, or Jeff Bruce Green might Brown. be that guy. Bruce no, Brown, yeah. Bruce Brown will be that guy. Bruce this year. Brown will be that guy. What about Christian Braun? Christian Braun might someday be that guy. Someday down the road, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, like you said, you said uh, June 30th, right? At 6 p.m. is yep. when tampering tampering sessions starts, tampering season starts, which is yep. technically when the start of free agency, when you'll start to see all the reports and the bombs and the this and the that. So. Um, not too long to wait until that happens. Uh, we don't expect Cleveland to be too active, but we've said that the last couple of years, and that has not been the case. So um, things to look out for. Chris, thank you for joining us. Sorry about the uh, technical difficulties. I don't know what was going on on teams, but yeah. Um, but we powered through and made it work. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And what better time than the start of free agency to sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. You get all kinds of news analysis insights and straight to your phone from uh, Chris. Nowhere else is going. It's going straight to your phone first. It's going nowhere else first. It's going to um, you. Not to Twitter, not to Instagram, not to Facebook, not to any other social media, not even written first. It's going to be sent straight to you. So the news uh, from Chris straight to your phone, 14-day 14 14-day 14 free trial. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash calves, click the blue banner at the top of the page, or you can just go to the bottom of the, this page that the uh, podcast is hosted on, on Cleveland.com, and you can enter your phone number, and you will be good to go. So appreciate you guys joining us. Thank you very much, Chris. And we will talk. Maybe the next time we talk, the Cavaliers will have a uh, a couple new players, and we can break them down. So it'll be very interesting to see if that's the case. But until then, thank you, everybody. Have a great day. We'll talk soon.